0: Okay, today I'm with Mr. Frank Muzio, right? That's how you say it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a while. I've been super busy lately, so I'm really excited to get back to podcasting. Um, I'm really excited for this one just because, um, first of all, like Frank's in biology, stuff like that. Really passionate about biology, so it's always fun to talk about biology. Um, So, Frank, you want to give yourself a little quick intro just to like how I know you um, and just our relationship?
1: Yeah, so my name is Frank Muzio, obviously. Um, As I stated, I am a first-year PhD student at the University of Connecticut. Um, um, And as a part of that whole setup, I teach... Uh, or I'm a lab instructor, this semester I'm a lab instructor for a biology course which you attend Um, and besides that so basically my job right now is teaching but on on top of that I'm taking my own courses and I am doing research very early stages of research so you know right this whole semester has been a lot of reading the literature and so forth and then yeah so um taking classes it's a lot but (laughs) um it should it should uh get more involved and more like narrowed down to things I'm like more interested in as years go on
0: yeah so like where are you originally from because I know you're not from like Connecticut
1: yeah so I am from California I'm from the Bay Area so I usually just tell people Oakland because it's the easiest thing but basically right off of Oakland. My family all is from Oakland and San Leandro. Um, but then I was born in Alameda, which is an Island in the okay. Bay. It's like really, it's just like, you know, like a stone's throw off of Oakland, but you know, we, you have to take a bridge or a tunnel every single day to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm from, yeah, from uh, Alameda, California. And, you know, I've, Went to a few different colleges, so I've moved around quite a bit, but for the most part, like, that's where my family's at and everything.
0: So you've been in Connecticut for about, about three, four months now?
1: Yeah, we moved out here in August, August 1st. We moved out here.
0: Okay, and it's now November 23rd. So, like, what are your first impressions? Do you, where do you live? Do you, like, live near stores?
1: I live in Mansfield.
0: I I don't know the difference between stores. Okay, so, yeah, I've had to be explained this too. I'm from Houston, actually, um, from Houston, Texas. That's where I am right now, actually. Um, Yeah, so Mansfield is... So, stores is is a part of Mansfield, is what my understanding is. Mm -hmm. But stores has its own zip code, so it's like its own thing, but it's still a part of Mansfield is what I understand. Maybe I'm wrong, but like, yeah, that's confusing. It's it's still confusing to me.
1: So technically, I don't know, like some places you put your zip code and they say stores, some places they say Mansfield. So maybe I am technically stores Mansfield or Mansfield. Stores. That's true. I've
0: also seen like just like, yeah, like letters and, st- and mail, like say like stores, like um, hyphen um mansfield um, yeah. but i'm pretty sure stores has their own zip code
1: well that's why we were freaking out because we were gonna we decided to vote here we,
0: uh-huh. i mean it doesn't matter
1: <laughs> california we didn't want to vote in california because california is always blue so we that would give our vote mm-hmm. we'd vote elsewhere but then connecticut's the same freaking thing so
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: but we wanted to vote here but we were like Do we feel, if we fill this out wrong like are we screwed or something <laughs>
0: Well, how, like, what are your initial thoughts of Mansfield, stores, Connecticut, and that little area that you're in? Um, I
1: like it. I, I've never really been big on cities right, and mm. everything. And so, I mean, Alameda is kind of a suburb and I mean, I loved Oakland. Um, I didn't like San Francisco very much. Um, so I like the, you know, we live in like a forest, like we literally. It's we a straight in, up
0: forest. <laughs> you, you are in the, we are in the woods.
1: Yeah. And I live in a, it's a farmhouse that was built in the 1700s. That's the story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was owned by Merrow, which is Merrow Road down the way.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and, and so I like it. I mean, I love the house we live in, it's really old. I've lived in a couple really old houses. Um, Alameda had a bunch of like Victorians and stuff, the old Victorian style houses. Um, I, the weather is weird, but I like cold weather. So I'm excited for the cold. And I really like the snow we had. I love the fact that we're going to have four seasons. Wasn't too keen on the heat. I'm not, I don't like the hot weather. <laughs> um, it, was
0: it hot in August?
1: It was pretty hot. Um, yeah,
0: it gets hot in August.
1: Yeah, we, we got by though. Like it wasn't too, um, you know, like we didn't have to get an AC unit. Mm-hmm. We ended up getting a window unit. And you, it was pretty cool because by nighttime, you know, you just turned the AC or the, the window fan on.
0: Yeah, at night it was fine. But I remember in my my freshman semester, my first semester at UConn, it was August, September. I was not like expecting it to be hot because like, oh, like I'm going to the northeast, like all the way in Connecticut, it's not gonna be hot. Like it was hot and like especially in the dorms where, like there's no AC. I was like I was dying at at some point. I was, like, what is going on? Like why is this so hot? And then and then it got cooler. Um, but yeah, I do remember that.
1: Do you live on campus at all this semester?
0: Um, no. So I've been, yeah, I've been in Houston since March. Um, but yeah, I was up there, um, last, last year. Yeah. But yeah, so you keep saying we, who is this collective we?
1: So I moved out here with my girlfriend that, uh, yeah, so we, yeah, it's we, She's upstairs working right now. She works with children, um, mm.
0: so,
1: right now. She's a behavioral therapist, so
0: not the easiest thing to do online. Yeah,
1: but it, I mean, the school it was getting kind of sketchy, you know, cases rising and stuff. So we're glad that they finally decided to go remote until the end of the year
0: at least. Mm-hmm. So. so she was able to find a, a job in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, she. Yeah, I mean. Feel like an education, you know, especially like with her credentials and stuff it was pretty, you know, it didn't take too long. That's good. So yeah, we moved out here and then she yeah, she just was able to find something. I don't know how long term it is, but mm-hmm. And we'll
0: good for her. Yeah. Um Yeah, for me, I miss the city. <laughs> like as uh, as
1: or like in the suburbs of Houston.
0: I live like pretty, like, in town, like, in, yeah, in Houston, Houston, Um, (laughs) no, you're good, um, yeah, like, we were talking about, like, yeah, Yukon's in the woods, like, I remember I was just walking to my, back to my dorm one night, it was, like, probably around midnight, and I literally, like, almost ran, like, into a, a deer, like, I was just walking, looking at my phone, and I almost walked into this deer that was, like, standing right in front of me, so, like, I remember that for the first time, I was, like, that's crazy. Like I'm just straight up in the woods.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and it's, it's like yeah. It's pretty. I mean, like I said, especially when we live, we lived on Fourth Road, and there's nobody around. We have our landlord, and then he lived next. He lives next door. There's an old farmhouse across the street, and then there's nobody in either direction for like I don't know, or like maybe 500 yards or something.
0: Yeah, but I will say it is cool to like look up in the sky and actually see stars.
1: Sure.
0: I remember the first time right that there. happened too. It was like, whoa.
1: Yeah, we we stepped outside a couple of nights, and like, I mean, probably I mean, we like, every now and then. I so we came with my dog. That's, just my dog passed away two weeks ago. So that's been super rough. But actually, so every night we'd go outside. I would go outside with them, and I'd look at the stars, and yeah, I'd see a shooting star within, you know, two or three minutes.
0: That's awesome. Was this, like, the first time you seen shooting stars before?
1: No, so my family, um, my mom's side of the family, they, they're from Portugal. Um, and they my great-grandfather lived in Maui growing okay. up. And so Maui was kind of like, I've been to Maui, like, six times or something. And nice. so um, on the beaches at night, I'd see them a lot there. And I do a lot, you know, Yosemite, and we go camping quite often. So I've seen them. But
0: yeah, in the Bay Area. Okay. Because I was in Colorado in August, this past August. Um, and that was when I saw a shooting star for the first time. And when I saw it, I was like, bro, no way I just saw that. Because it was like it looked like it was straight up from like a movie. I was yeah. like and then like I saw like a couple more like later that night. So I remember it very vividly the first time I saw a shooting star, I was like I like. I thought it was only a thing in movies, like I didn't think like I would ever see that like in real life. Yeah.
1: They're so cool, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the sky out here is crazy. It could be like thunderstorming, and then you go out at night, and the clouds all clear, and it's just yeah.
0: So is it cold right now?
1: Um, I haven't been outside yet today. So, like I said, I'm used. Like, to is it,
0: is there the snow on the ground?
1: There's not snow on the ground. So we had oh. snow. Halloween weekend we had a big snowstorm like not big but uh-huh. it, was, it was like four or five inches okay and it was like super cool it was like our first snowstorm ever. right um but then that kind of washed off in like a day or two um I think we're supposed to get some possible snow showers next weekend and then there's some more on the horizon but I don't know apparently the winters here haven't been as
0: that's what they told me last year. They're like, oh, this is such a mild winter. And I'm over here like shivering with like frozen hair, literally frozen hair. I was, I was, I took a shower. I was late to a meeting. So like, oh crap, I have to go. So like with wet hair, I walk outside and I'm just trying to get to like um, the student union. By the time I like a five, 10 minute, five, 10 minute walk, I get to the student union. My hair is frozen because it's yeah. like. 10 11 degrees outside with like a wind chill of like two yeah I'm Like mild winter what
1: <laughs> yeah um last last Wednesday it was it got down to like low 30s high 20s but like the wind chill was like 19 or 17 That's what
0: kills you it's the wind chill
1: yeah for sure I went on a walk and um I had, like, a beanie on and everything. I, we had, like, like I said, we live in a forest. So I went on a walk in the forest. And mm-hmm. actually ended up having a mask in my pocket, like a normal COVID mask. Mm-hmm. And it was so cold that I put it on. I wasn't like, <laughs> I it, you know?
0: That is so funny. Yeah. Because we're constantly not trying to put those things on. Yeah. And, like, like, oh, wait, like, let me willingly put this on because i'm, yeah, I'm so glad leader. i
1: had it because I, was like, Damn, I forgot like a scarf or something but
0: yes like, bro scarves are like game changers i didn't really realize how like useful they are <laughs> until i got one i was like okay i understand now
1: yeah so i've had a scarf for like a few years and i never wore it but when we came out we visited in february
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: i was like to see if i liked the school and if they liked me basically yeah um, crazy process and then I brought my scarf and I was like, this is why have i never worn this before. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. So have you like spent much time in the Northeast or no?
1: No. First time out here was February. And then, so it's funny because my, my sister lives in New York for a little bit and my stepmom's from Boston. So my dad and stepmom come out every other year. I mean, they come out probably every year, but they do Christmas out here like every other year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I never went with them, um, and so yeah, this was our, uh, my girlfriend as well. This was our first time in February. We really like it though, so get away from the Bay Area for a while.
0: <laughs> you have a you have your car up there.
1: I do. We drove across country.
0: Love it. I drove. Yeah, I drove my car up there too. Um, yeah, you should definitely like take advantage. Of the time that you're at UConn. Could definitely just drive to Boston for like the day or drive to New York We've City. Done that.
1: We've done that twice already.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. So,
1: so, my best friend grew up with, you know, and then we actually went to our first college together, dorm together. He lives in Jersey now. Okay. So we see him.
0: What in- part of Jersey? What? What part of Jersey?
1: Uh, it's called Little Ferry.
0: Mm, not familiar so with. He it.
1: Moved, after college, he moved to New York, and then, um, ended up getting into a master's or a PhD program, um, or master's program, master's program, and he moved to Chicago for two years. And then, as we were, then he was, his girlfriend um, that he was living with in Chicago, she's from Little Ferry, New Jersey, and they mm-hmm. always wanted to go back to New York, and. Um, Actually, on our drive out here, we stayed with them in Chicago and they were like packing up their apartment. And so, nice. like, we left like, Wednesday morning and then they left Thursday morning, packed up and moved mm-hmm. out. Here, and so, yeah. And then I have a friend, one of my close friends lives in Vermont. So, we want to see him. His boyfriend lives in DC. So, we have like a connection to go to DC once things calm down. So, we're, yeah, once things calm down, we're like
0: all over the place. Love it. She- Love it. Yeah, I remember my first like five weeks when I was at UConn. Um, I didn't like sing, uh, spend a single weekend, um, on campus. Oh, yeah. So, my first weekend went to Boston, second weekend, and I have like friends at like Northeastern, so I could like stay with them. Um, second weekend, I went to um, Newport, Rhode Island, and Providence. Um, so I know. I know, I knew a family in Providence, so I stayed in Providence and then I would visit my friend um, who was in Newport because she um, is in the Coast Guard. So they have a base in Newport. Um, Newport's awesome. um, Really pretty. Um, And then the third weekend I went to um, New York City. I have a friend at um, Columbia, um, Mm -hmm. able to stay with her Um, fourth weekend went to um dc uh, i have some some close um family friends that live in dc so i can just crash at their place whenever yeah um and then the fifth weekend back to new york city this time with a friend from upenn and a friend from northeastern we all like met in new york city rented an airbnb and just like did our thing for a weekend so at that point in time i didn't have my car because i i got my car up second semester and this is still first semester because i was like okay let me see if i need a car let me like test it out first semester so i didn't have my car so i got to all these places using like greyhounds and like trains and stuff but mostly greyhounds and buses yeah. um which and then next, and then i was like after that whole escapade i was like okay i would really like my car up here so over christmas break um after first semester i drove my car up
1: yeah we um we really want like train into new york city one day but
0: uh, I yeah i'm not trying to take a train right now (laughs) but yeah um greyhounds it was an experience you know it's builds character i would say um
1: Well, you're from Texas too, so I mean, same in California. Like, if you, I mean, California has a lot of things nearby, but you know, a different state is like a five-hour drive. Yes. Are like, we I was saying, my when I was living in the Bay Area, my commute to work, you know, would take me longer than if I was to drive to Rhode Island right now.
0: Yeah, and yeah, like people and people, I heard people commute from like. I want I, I know this is crazy, but I feel like I've heard people commute like they live in Connecticut and they commute to Boston. Which like if you live on like the edge of Connecticut, it's only like probably like a 50 minute drive to Boston. Um but yeah, it's crazy. Um so like do you like what yeah, what brought you what got you interested in Yukon?
1: Uh they accepted me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why do you even apply though? Like, how'd you even like, why was it even on your radar?
1: So, um, I wanted to do a PhD program and basically my search for PhD programs was Googling labs that either worked in functional morphology with mammals or functional morphology with birds. And so I spent, a good portion of last year, like the summer, just researching. And I would, I had an email that I would write up and I would send it to these professors that had labs that looked interesting. And, um, I ended up applying. I mean, I you got back and forth. You get ignored a lot and then you get back and forth from a few professors. And then that leads into like a conversation on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard some in Margaret Rubega's lab. I don't know if you've ever done work with her. Um, and I heard from her pretty like quickly, but then I didn't hear from her for like a month. Mm. And so I had narrowed down, I was gonna to apply to uh, Washington, Brown, Michigan, and Ohio University. And I was like, those are the four I'm gonna to apply to. We basically just wanted to be out of California. We wanted to try something.
0: Okay, um, that's cool.
1: And so, and so like, I was ready to apply and then out of nowhere I get this long email from Margaret and I was like, like, you know, telling me what she wants, to, what she is doing and what we would do. And, you know, if I'm interested, like we should set up a zoom call. And so we ended up talking, we ended up talking on the phone mm-hmm. and like right after I got off the phone, I was like, I have to work with this lady. Like, this is
0: awesome. it. Yeah.
1: Um, and it was, so we came out in February. I applied to all the schools. I got into one or two of the other ones. Um, But I knew if I was going to get into UConn, I would take it. But then COVID hit, and then funding got weird. Mm. And I ended up not getting accepted into UConn until the day of the deadline. So it was like, it was April 15th, and I had to, I had an offer that I had to accept that day, but I was still waiting to see if I got into UConn. And so I was just like, I was like, the whole time I was like, I'm not getting into UConn, I'm not getting into UConn. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to give them till 12.30. And at like 12.15, I got the, you're getting it. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because I went <laughs> to Ohio and we Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it was Margaret and just the school. They have a really um, good, like, EB department. that mm-hmm. also a lot of birds. And a lot of, they have a huge history, natural history collection. Um, but I also... I like the idea of the East Coast. Like, like I said, my couple so of my best friends live out here, and mm-hmm. like, we've never lived out out of California. I mean, I lived in Washington for a while, but uh, it sounded better than the other options.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. I like that. Yeah. So, like, what are you? So, you're talking about a lot of mammal and bird um, functional morphology. So, like, is that like what you're passionate about? Is that like what you're really yeah, interested so, in?
1: So I've <laughs> it's a long story but I've always I'm been, ready I'm ready I wasn't really into animals actually growing up um, it was tide pools and marine biology and so I like, feel like was, that's
0: all like I feel like that's a, a stage that all kids go yeah. through because I definitely also wanted to be like a marine biologist growing up
1: for sure yeah so my dad would take me the tide pooling we were, I was super young and so like my preschool graduation like we had what do you want to be when you grow up and so I don't even think I knew what it meant at the time but I put marine biologist." and then um, and then as you know like in high school I started working with the guy who was a wildlife biologist and so I got to do more stuff with you know in California the red-legged frog and the tiger salamander are a big species of concern so you do a lot of work with them and so I got involved in that, and then I took an ornithology and a mammalogy course in college mm-hmm. at Humboldt, and I just, like, I got really drawn in by skulls. I okay. Um, I got really drawn in by skulls and just, like, the different structures and then just kind of, like, you know, how the structures varied based on, like, kind of the necessity for the species, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, like the teeth size like hyenas have really strong teeth and they crack mm-hmm. bones, you know to get to the inside and they actually eat bones and so forth yeah. um bears they're like us they're omnivores so they have like instead of having sharp uh molars they have you
0: know more grinders
1: bones. yeah exactly and raccoons have the same thing um and but then i mean birds have just always been in the back and so um so I talked to Margaret and she she's a functional morphologist that has looked a lot at feeding structures. So her and her recent um, student pretty much redesigned how we look at or how we understand how hummingbirds feed, which is pretty crazy. Um, I read his dissertation recently and it's pretty nuts. Um, and she also did a lot of work on how um, strikes, do you know about what strikes oh, are? Yeah, like I've heard of them. Um, they basically impale their food on barbed wire fences um, or spikes of cactus and stuff. Um, so she did a lot of work on that. And so her new thing, she's very interested in feather structures and feather morphology, mm-hmm. and basically, you know, how they differ between, uh, it's like for different thermal regulation and water repellency needs, mm-hmm. um, and also like like the plasticity of them. So like say you know, you have the house sparrow, which lives all over the world. Like, how is that same species allowed to live in Connecticut mm-hmm. in really cold environments, but then also live in, like, Costa Rica? Mm-hmm. And so, like, is there variation um, between the feather structures? And then also, like, if you took a bird from that Costa Rica, same bird, and then brought them up here, like, over the course of a molt, would they adjust, like, the feather structures and so forth? Mm-hmm. So um, that sounded really cool to me, and because feathers are pretty gnarly, like if you've ever looked at them under a microscope or like yeah, I don't think I
0: have, not under feathers. a microscope at least.
1: Yeah, and um, and so then you know over the course of our reading, I mean it's all very you know preliminary, but we got really into water repellency and like resistance to water penetration because you have these birds that you know a lot of ber- any bird needs resistance to water. From rain, yeah. But then you have birds that dive, and some don't seem to get wet at all, and others get immediately wet, and they come out and they're dripping with water. And so, yeah, we're trying to see if there's a structural difference and all that, all that fun stuff. So it's
0: cool. It sounds yeah. cool. So, like, have you guys been able to do any like research and stuff yet?
1: No, it's been a lot of reading and trying to see what's been done mm-hmm. and what has been done and doesn't make sense <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's a lot out there that's been done, but like one, they don't, we talked about it in our lab. You have to make the results repeatable. Yeah, And people, they have these methods from like the thirties that even like recent and that don't describe it enough that we could do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we've just been doing a lot of reading. I mean, I started going to the lab and just, you know, looking at feathers, different from different birds under the microscope and taking photos and such but just the way things have been the last couple of weeks kind of waiting until yeah the, the break when everyone's off campus
0: <laughs> so enlighten me with some of the literature and research that you've been, that you've read and come in contact with
1: so i mean for the just most some
0: basics you don't need to get too i'm not like this is a quiz like
1: yeah um <laughs> uh, So the semester I've been reading like a paper a day, like I try to read one paper like in the morning.
0: That's pretty good. What? That's pretty good. I used to try to do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And um, and it's really nice when you're like reading something that's, you know, like I used to read papers, not every day, but I used to read them before I was here. But, you know, my interests were so broad that you would read a bunch of, you know, like one Right.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: it's like I'm narrowed down to this one field. Like, it's really cool because you can see, you know, everyone's, subtleties. Yeah, everyone's referencing each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really like, it's not that big of a field. That's why we're like excited about it because there's a lot of work that can still be done. Um, but, you know, there, so there's one guy who's actually a material scientist who he took this formula that was of a porous surface that was like derived in like the 1930s. And he, um, it comes up with this, basically this equation or this expression. And it gives you like a ratio of like the distance between the barbules, which is a structure, like the small structure of a feather, mm-hmm. um, plus the radius of each barbule. And then you divide it again by the radius of the barbules. And it gives you this number. Mm-hmm. And he basically extra- uses that number to tell you if the feathers are resistant to water repellency or if they are um, impenetrable to water or have a resistance to water penetration, mm-hmm. which is very counterintuitive because you'd think those would kind of go along in the same lines. But if you have a higher number, that means you're more water repellent. But if you have a lower number, that means you're better at resisting water penetration. So Based on
0: like, the radius? Of- yeah
1: of feather. no the barbs. He, so you have a feather that has a, a main shaft and then going well, I have a feather right <laughs> So
0: yes. you have a feather, Teach me. A and then okay.
1: all of them coming off are barbs, right? Right. In between these, you know, these hair like barbs, they have these little other hairs protruding off them that are called barbules. Okay. And that's what locks the feather, the barbs together and basically gives. a okay. Yeah. Look. And so he took this textile formula that was used for like, if you were looking at like canvas or something, Mm -hmm. or like any type of material used for clothing, he decided to apply it to feathers to try to prove, you know, the difference between feather structures and how repellent they are to water. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me because if you look at a cross section of a barbule or a barb, they're not circles. I don't know where you're getting the radius from. And he also goes on to, he ignores, like I said, he, his, his equations go on with the bars. Mm-hmm. But the barbels are the smallest structure that cause all the interlocking.
0: Right.
1: So he just ignores that in his formula. And so he's, a lot of people have had issues with his over the years. There's another um, scientist who they had a back and forth, which got really funny. Like,
0: between, were, the, between the papers? yeah yeah i love it i know what you're talking about yeah yeah
1: Um, and so yeah we've been talking about that and we just don't like that model um and again i still i mean i've read a lot of it but it's it's hard to grasp conceptually Mm -hmm. but then another person that i should mention that's really really interesting her name is carla dove and she's at the smithsonian now and she um she's pretty much like the world expert on feather structures but she uses them not like so we're looking at it from a morphological like a functional aspect like right. how this you know, why this is shaped this way and what what it does she uses it as a taxonomical um okay. feature. like she basically has this key that she's made where she's taken um feather structure like electron photos of feather structures from pretty much all water birds, shorebirds in the world, or common shorebirds, and so pretty much, if you hand her a feather, she can tell you no matter where it's from, she can tell you who, who what bird it's from, pretty much, or at least what genus it's from. And so this kind of dawned this new thing called forensic ornithology.
0: Okay. Um,
1: it has to do it. So like, it started out as like bird strikes. So like when a Bird hits the propeller of a plane; and it causes engine failure.
0: Yeah, they
1: figure out what species of bird it was, and all you have is a pile of feathers. And so they use her
0: ornithology.
1: Yeah, but he has these crazy papers where they've expanded beyond just something as simple as that. And like, <laughs> this is one of my favorite papers I read this semester. They in the Smithsonian there was a no, it wasn't the Smithsonian. It was in some German. Um, museum, they had the remains of this Viking aged uh, burial, like boat boat funeral. So basically, a Viking died and they put him in a boat and they sent him out into like this lake or something. And uh, he had a pillow that they gave him. And so they basically had this pillow that was aged from like yes. A.D. And they wanted to know, you know, what this was made of. And so she was able to take samples of it and she broke it down to the three species. Which, I mean, that's just super cool. For yeah, them. that's just,
0: yeah, that's so cool.
1: And then, you know, they do that for other, like, um, sites, like kill sites of nomadic people and stuff. But um, then she's also used the techniques to, you know, one of them was they found the remain these remains of a razor bill, which is a lot of flying penguin and um, they found them inside of a snowy owl and prior to that no one there's been no evidence that snowy owl was a predator of this um, razorbill species Mm -hmm. so you know there's an ecological aspect there too where you can you know help I mean you just have these remains inside this owl stomach but through her forensic ornithology she's able to figure out what these animals are eating and so forth. So she's super cool. Like I actually emailed her recently and she replied back and was really fired up. Um, yeah, there's, there's these two structures that they use for identification purposes that some species have and some species don't. And then there's all like one of them also comes in like a super wide variety of shapes. And, like, it's been driving me crazy because nobody out there has, um, like, asked why they're shaped differently. Everyone's just using them for, oh, if it's shaped like this, it comes from this bird or mm-hmm. it comes from this family. And so I emailed her and I was like, do you have any idea, like, why? Has anybody looked at, like, the functional aspect of these? And she was super cool. She replied with, like, multiple paragraphs, like, no, I don't know, but it's super and she's like, let me know what you end up doing your research on. Like, I want to talk more. And I was like, I was like idolizing her at first. This is yeah. your
0: chance, Frank. You got to figure out why they're shaped differently. I mean, we this talked about
1: it in the lab like, as a side project. And everyone in my lab was like, why don't you just do your research on that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> One day. This, this, is,
0: this is when you make it big. This is when you become like the next Carla Dove.
1: Exactly. One day. <laughs> oh, man,
0: that's yeah. super cool.
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting semester for sure. Like I said, it's really cool to, like, focus on one area and, like, build your knowledge off of that one area as opposed to – I've always been, like, a jack-of-all-trades in terms of trying to do everything. So mm-hmm. it kind of, like, narrowed me down to looking at one area.
0: So, like, yeah, you, sh- you sh- this interest started with skulls, and then you – Did you, and then you narrowed it down to ornithology just because of like the class you took in college?
1: So, I mean, I've always been interested in birds. Like I had birds growing up and birds have always been one of my favorite things. And um, I took the ornithology class first, actually. I took it over the summer at Humboldt with a great professor. And actually for my degree, I only had to take ornithology. So um, I was a zoology major and you only had to take... One of the, you know, either ornithology, mammalogy, herpetology, mm-hmm. or so forth. And I took ornithology and I loved it, got me really more into birding and photography and so forth. Um, but I've always really liked mammals too. And we had a mammology class, and Humble is known for its mammal collection. Okay. Uh, it was my last semester. And I was like, I can't miss this class.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I was able to talk to the dean of the department or whatever he's called into letting me substitute it mm-hmm. I took that class and yeah that that so I would say um I've always had the interest in birds the ornithology class definitely helped but like it wasn't until I looked at the skulls that I got into the idea I, I didn't really even know what functional morphology
0: was yeah
1: but then like I noticed like as I was looking at the skulls that um like my biggest thing when I was applying to grad school was, what are my interests, you know, like I'm applying to all these different things, but then after talking to Margaret and after taking that mammology course, like everything that I've always been fascinated with by animals has been how are they working?
0: Right, yeah.
1: The weird, unique structures that they have, and then so I was like, oh, there's a uh, field in that
0: <laughs>
1: and so and margaret you know she's super fired up about it. like we get in long conversations about feathers <laughs> we'll get like gonna,
0: yeah i'm gonna have to reach out to her what's your name margaret what
1: rubega. yeah you um margaret
0: understand. vega
1: rubega yeah
0: rubega okay
1: how many semesters do you have left
0: only a sophomore
1: no you should take um i mean you're double majoring aren't you and two
0: oh, I mean, I so I'm majoring. I'm a business management major on the pre-med track, so I'm not double majoring. It's just uh, a full load. But
1: I would definitely. I mean, you're gonna have a few more years here. Um, you should try to take her ornithology course. I'm actually
0: I'm seeing... write that
1: down.
0: yeah. She seems really cool. I'm gonna have to reach out to her soon. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Um, so yeah. Um, birds, crazy. Um, it's crazy how, like, you're talking about how, like, yeah, it's crazy how, like, um, how, how, like, all these different structures work and all these things. And I love how there's, like, really two sides to that. to like, yeah, like, how, how do, like, how do these things work? How do, like, birds really work? And you have the more, like, functional side and the more macro level of, like, actually func- these these um, structures that we see, the feathers, the beak, the skull, and all these things. And then there's the more micro scale which I would say like really interests me is like no. the the bio, like the, the cells, like, and the intestines, yeah. like all those structures. Um, so I love how like, there's just like, everyone has their own interests and in how like mm-hmm. it all like meshes together. We're all like doing our own thing, but like we're all like pretty much looking at the same thing, just at different points of views. Um, so I've always thought that was really cool.
1: Yes. Um, it's pretty funny, like you talk to all the other grad students like about their research and you're just like, like you're so like honed in on your own, like idea of what, you know, like my it's like, my best friend, he studies ferns.
0: And I don't know, like, I'm, I got to say Fern, ferns. Like, like, ferns, I, yeah. Like, come on, like, 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 come on, plants, like, they don't even move, they barely <laughs> move.
1: <laughs> we both started at Humboldt the same semester and he was a botany major and he, I was a zoology major and over the, we like, developed a great friendship but it all started out as we would just like roast each other like plants. (laughs) (laughs) uh, so now you know he's working on his phd in ferns and we actually had a long conversation the other night and it's funny because like we're both in the science world so we can understand each other or like the conversation going even though i have no idea what he's talking about but i understand biology enough where i can you know get involved in the conversation and ask the right questions, but yeah, I just I don't know, why? There's so many cool things out there, but he crazy
0: about them. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, someone's got to be crazy about them.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're cool. Obviously, like, the back, plants are the backbone of life, but um, it's, yeah, it's just like people, you know, people, like, spend their whole research looking at, like, lichen or looking at fruit flies and stuff. And it's
0: just like, hey, awesome. Yeah, that's that's one of the main reasons why I have this podcast. Um, It's like, get outside of my bubble and to like, talk to like people that are, do have different interests. And like, maybe, maybe I thought that like ferns are really boring, but after like talking to like your best friend or whatever, maybe I'd be like, oh, wait, maybe ferns aren't actually that boring. Maybe like, this is actually really cool um which I've had that happen a couple of times
1: um have you yeah. ever listened to oologies or ol-
0: no what ol- is it called oologies it's basically Oology. Like, it's always just like go through the like ologies, the different yeah, like sciences I'm
1: sure they make them up too like if it's not an actual thing but basically just and she yeah, interviews an expert it's a podcast she interviews an expert in that field um she she took a, I don't I mean I listen to I like listening to podcasts but uh, I listen to a lot of books
0: mm, yeah
1: and so when podcasts are usually over like two hours like I want to listen to it but it's hard for me to like like Joe Rogan's podcasts are like hard for me to commit to
0: <laughs> you just but, gotta break it up you just gotta break yeah. it up it takes me yeah I, I'll listen to a Joe Rogan podcast over a span of like three to five days
1: yeah exactly but it's like the um npr has like the the 15 minute like daily breakdown i'm like that's it i'm good 15 minutes i'm in and out but i've always podcasts are so cool like i've always i think a lot like a lot of people like have thought i want to do it but no one does it (laughs) you know like
0: that was me for the longest time Um, i know
1: i mean it's it's great i think it's so cool and it's a it's a way to have like a semi-structured conversation like you said yeah that you wouldn't converse with probably. exactly
0: um I've really enjoyed it I've learned a lot from it so I'm gonna to continue to do it it was a hobby I picked up after my first semester during Christmas break I was like I was bored I was I had nothing to do I was like I need something to do I need to find a hobby yeah. so like I've always wanted I've always listened to podcasts I've always wanted to have my own so like you know what I'm gonna do it like this break I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it and I did it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's that's the thing. You just got to go for it. I just got to go for it
0: because you can do it
1: from home. Yeah, you, know, like, you don't need to be in person and stuff.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so, like, so did you? Where did you? Where were you at school before you come? Then, since if you're doing your PhD, you work here.
1: So, I started my undergrad at the University of Puget Sound up in Washington. Okay small liberal arts. I actually went there to play football
0: really you don't strike me as a football player man I'm gonna be honest
1: It's <laughs> so probably a good thing what position did you play uh I was a safety okay and running back in high school and then my senior year I played linebacker but and running back but then I went up I went back to safety when I got to college. I basically played linebacker in um, in college, in high school. Uh-huh. I played linebacker my senior year high school because I pretty much was like knew the defense the best, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, just have Frank run that, and so <laughs> I did that. And then, but safety's always been my position. So when I went to college, I ended up playing safety. I only played a year though. Um, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. The school was way too expensive. My best friend stayed there. You know, kudos to him. He stuck it out. <laughs> but um, I ended up leaving. Yeah, there, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan of the team.
0: hmm So unfortunately, I've never met you in person because of circumstances. It's like, how tall are you?
1: I'm not tall. I'm five ten-ish.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you 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 wouldn't have like receivers like constantly like catching balls over your head just like absolutely like just bodying you
1: you know I mean
0: I somehow, held your own
1: I don't know how I made it work but <laughs> I made it work to the point where I, I started as a freshman and, okay you no know, I I don't know I I mean you basically you playing defense especially as a defensive back you have to just like you're gonna get dogged at some point. And you kinda just have to forgive. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't play cornerback, which is who usually gets dogged. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, I was kinda over the top, which is not as a safety you're coming up from over the top. So yeah. You have that element of surprise usually. But it happens. <laughs> it happens. Especially well especially because you guard the tight ends usually, who are usually not only tall, but they yeah. also like what do you want me to do
0: (laughs) well unfortunately UConn does not have the best football program so
1: they were the first yeah not playing and then all the memes on the internet were like oh no UConn's not playing this year
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was funny when I saw that when I got that notification I was like I'm not surprised at all like
1: yeah. i was like call me when they cancel basketball yeah <laughs> <I'm freaked out. laughs>
0: yeah yeah so you big sports guy
1: so i i'll check in on it i don't
0: watch it usually
1: on the am with people
0: okay
1: i don't know i like to say that i'm not
0: but i definitely say that you can say that it's okay it's okay to be a male and not be into sports that's no, I mean, okay I, the thing is i am
1: more into them than i want
0: to be it doesn't talking. make you less of a man
1: <laughs> no, i i i don't like the connotation that i like sports so i try to play it off that i don't but okay. i love playing, i love basketball i love playing it um and i i don't like baseball
0: but it boring
1: i would play basketball probably you know normally i used to play like at least two times a week um, so it was
0: fun yeah for sure
1: and then I've played so much football that I mean, I enjoy it, but I like watching football highlights and stuff, but I can't, it's hard for me to sit down and watch a full cool game. But I, I would be lying if I said I didn't check yesterday's stats before we got on. Just to see. I don't do any of the fantasy stuff, but I I have certain players that I like. And I just okay, want to see yeah
0: see yeah.
1: more of like a moral sport. <laughs> yeah, I
0: understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got out of fantasy football just because, like, it caused too much emotion out of me.
1: I I never could get involved in it because, like, so for me, I don't, I have a couple favorite teams, but it's always been, like, I like the players, like, like yeah, I said. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you, I like to see somebody, like, develop a really good career, and, you know, and so... I don't know, like yeah, you'd hang out with your friends that would play fantasy, and you know somebody would get injured, and the first thing out of their mouth was like, "Oh man, like there goes my fantasy," and I'm like, "That dude's leg is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why do you care at all about that? Besides what these movies, be? yes. Yeah. And then just the stress, like you said, of oh, I want this team to win, but I
0: want this Right? Yeah, to win. yeah. 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 I, I, Yeah, I got it. I played, like, maybe one season of fantasy. Like, yeah, not, not for me. I'm good. Yeah. I don't need that in my life.
1: Watch people. Like, I'd always, my friends would do drafts, and I would hang out there. Yeah. I, just, like, I would, like, I would, I would always try to get one of my friends who didn't really care either, but you would do it. Like, we have a couple of my friends are really big Niner fans. Mm-hmm. So, like, one year, I sat next to my other friend and I was like, just telling him to draft all these Niner players because he was right before the Niner fans. (laughs) Uh (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, yeah, overall, I I say I like sports. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, so earlier you were talking about how, like, you were applying to, like, UConn and all these different schools um, for, like, your Ph.D. program and, like, how that was, like, a weird experience for you um so like talk to me more about that just for like maybe someone who's listening maybe they're going through this thinking about going through the same process of trying to find a phd program and like what what does that why was it weird why why do you say weird like how was that for you what's the process look like
1: luckily i had my friend did it the year before you know and but the thing is we both came into it without masters You know, I didn't want to go to get a master's because I knew I wanted a PhD. So I didn't want to add an additional two years. Mm -hmm. And i already been working for three years in a a relevant field. So we could talk about that at some point. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so it was was a lot of just shooting in the dark. I mean, there was, you know, like Texas A&M has a job board for wildlife and biology biologists that a lot of people come put.
0: down to Texas man come down
1: <laughs> and they a lot of people post there I and mean, I would search that and I applied to a few of them but basically at least my experience was it's kind of like you have to build a relationship with somebody and so you have to reach out like I said I probably sent you know 60 70 emails over the course of a few months and you know some nights it was like I'm just googling like uh, mammal mammology lab blah 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 and sometimes you know my girlfriend would be on the couch and i would be like where do you want to live <laughs> so I would just type in New York and yeah. then I would send five or six emails out that night and then you like I said it would lead into the conversation if it was good um, and I mean it was just it was the only weird sense of it was that like, like I said it was like a shot in the dark like you know you're sending out you're sending yourself out there a lot. And mm-hmm. chances are you're gonna get ignored. Yeah. Um, you know, I had I've had some friends who like like after me were like, you know, yeah, I, I emailed a few professors and I'm like, you have to email more. I was like, you're you're banking on like a ten percent return rate. And then of to ten percent you need one to land, <laughs> you know, like yeah. so Yeah, it was um it it was definitely like my friend i was using him a lot for guidance and just like i would send him like a draft email like you know and then you'd have to tailor it you know i had but i had to tailor it
0: right sometimes i
1: would mess up and forget leave something in there like another person's name
0: yeah oh yeah that one yeah forget about that one (laughs) and then like the thing with margaret like i
1: um she had just gotten super bogged down, I think, with school. Yeah. And so that it was like, you know, over. So I was like, all right, you know. And then, you know, she emailed me and I was like, I, I remember sitting there and I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, should I say yes? Like I already have these four schools I'm applying to. Like, should I She's like, just do it. And then I got on the phone with her and I'm like, we're going to Yukon. Like if I could choose any school right now, it's gonna be that like to work with Margaret. Um and so, yeah.
0: So, what I'm hearing it's a lot of like looking into specific schools and like making sure they have labs that are like in your interests.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, at least my, I mean, you know, there's a lot of play, like a lot of things, a lot of different fields where you apply to the school, you know, and then hope to get hooked up with somebody. But for me, in like the way I went about it, and the way I think a lot of, especially like um, biology fields for PhDs go about it is you have to find the person first and you have to know if they're accepting grad students and if they're not you know a lot of places in their application they're like you have to list three potential advisors and if you haven't spoken to any of them like you know what it's a waste of your time because all three of them might not have room at all in their lab so why even apply mm-hmm. so it was more of find somebody and then they help you get through the process of being accepted. They say they you know, they don't have like control, which they definitely don't. But I think they have a good, they have some pull.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was wondering. Um, the, one of the reasons why I asked you, like, okay, so like, where did you go to school like before you kind of was like, I was kind of fishing for that answer, like oh yeah i got my master's degree at this this and this um yeah so i
1: like my the only i was at so uh, to finish it up i was a year and a half at Puget sound i moved back home and did jc for a year and a half and then i went to Humboldt for like two years um my that's my plug for Everybody should do JC, honestly. If you don't know what you're doing, save your money. <laughs> like, JCs are a great route. Like, I have friends, you know, like, you know, you have friends that end up getting into these great schools that wouldn't have gotten there otherwise outside of um, high school. But since you're a transfer from a JC, pretty much it's guaranteed almost to get into most schools, mm-hmm. and you save yourself money. Um, the only downside is most people at high school don't have the determination to. Actually work through a JC, but if you are like actually serious about it, it's really smart. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, and so I spent so much money like paying off like the year and a half I went to uh, the University of Utah Sound. Mm-hmm. That I'm not paying for school anymore. Like that's I'm done. I'm not doing it. And so. Um, and I knew I wanted to go the research route like a lot, you can get your master's first but a lot of people get their master's and uh, that's just like you know it's a different route you're not technically going like the research academic route which I knew I wanted to go and so I was like if I could skip it then I'm going to skip it mm-hmm. um, and yeah a lot of people do um, you know I got some like I reached out to some professors like especially a couple in Canada and I was like hey like you know I don't have a master's blah, blah blah but I want to get my PhD and like I've got a couple like that's a bad choice <laughs> I was like all right I know, people <laughs> you know I guess that's not very nice of you <laughs> <laughs> uh, you supposed
0: to be Canadian man like what is what is going on here yeah and um
1: so yeah so I um my whole point was to like not have to pay for
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. I mean there's masters programs. I think UConn's you work as a TA, you get paid and it covers your master's tuition. Um but it's so that's what I was looking for too. I mean there was there's also like the route where you can apply to school but you end up paying a tuition, which I was not for. So that's why I ended up going this route. And so far, I mean I'm super happy that I'm here. Um it's yeah, it's been fun.
0: That's good to hear.
1: Yeah.
0: So you you talked about your three years of like relevant, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Experience. Um, So what what was that about? What are you referring to?
1: So like, so I mentioned in high school, I linked up with a guy who works for the East Bay regional parks, which is the big park district in uh, the Bay area and he kind of took me under his wing and showed me you know what being a wildlife biologist is all about and then so after college i knew i wanted to work a little bit and i ended up getting a job as an environment for an environmental consulting firm um, a lot of people start out that you're like a monitor so like a lot of these they're environmental consulting firms for like developments and a lot of developments especially new developments you know they have Environmental issues and also wildlife issues. And so they have to staff like on site monitors every single day um, to be on site and they write like daily monitoring reports. And so that's kind of like the stepping stone, you know, that's like a usually a seasonal job. Mm-hmm. So I got hired for that for this company. And then they mentioned in the beginning that they uh, were looking to potentially hire two staff biologists like after the end of the season, I was like, all right, well, I'm taking one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and then after actually only a couple of weeks, um, I just made it a point that I, that, that they knew I was serious and that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so I hired me as a staff in a couple of weeks and I, um, yeah, I worked the last three years as a wildlife staff biologist for this company. And that, you know, and you, it's, I did a lot of stuff. I was, I worked as the one of the GIS guys. I made a lot of our maps, which I just kind of picked up while I was working there. Um, and then, you know, you do nesting bird surveys, you do tiger salamander surveys, um, plant surveys, and on top of monitoring, and you do a lot of reports and um, a lot of mitigation stuff. So we had a we had a bunch of mitigation properties, mm-hmm. which, to be brief, like. So say, say you're a developer and you buy, you know, two acres of land to develop on, depending on what's on that property, a lot of times you have to mitigate for that. So you have to go like basically buy credits on a mitigation bank elsewhere that preserves that habitat. So say you're destroying tiger salamander habitat, you have to either create a tiger salamander habitat or preserve tiger salamander habitat
0: into perpetuity. Okay, yeah
1: a lot of that comes with monitoring for like at least 10 years so a lot of our sites ponds were built and we had to for the for the developer we had to um, prove that these ponds were helping grow the population and were being used by the tiger's salamander. so we would survey them every year during breeding season um, and the same goes for plantings you know like if you tear down a bunch of mature oak trees you have to plant it's usually like a four to one ratio. So if you tear it a on hundred, you have to plant 400. Um, and so we had a lot of sites like that. And I actually got, I ended up becoming like the land manager. So I was, we had, we had our own properties and then we had these other small mitigation sites that we were in charge of. And I was kind of placed in charge of all of them, which was cool. It was a lot of like work in the fields, especially on, we had like two or three big properties that my boss actually owned and I was out there a lot, you know, coyotes and you know owls and stuff every day i bring the dog and stuff like that Um, and so yeah it was it was cool it was definitely like it was good experience and it was something that margaret was really like she liked because you know a lot of people like oh you don't have a master's but then other like margaret other professors there's a few that were like her that were like well this shows me that you have work experience you know like i don't want just a straight master student who's done high school, college, and master's with no work experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she. Uh, so that actually helped. Helped me kind of outweigh the fact that I didn't have a master's.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool because I feel like that's something, I'm not not a lot of people think about. Whenever they do think about like just developing. Um, like lands and stuff like that they're like oh yeah new new building popped up or whatever but they don't we don't really think about oh what went into like developing that land like yeah yeah, they got rid of like some plants and some animal and some just like um an ecological like system like did they like what did they do to like replace that And and I definitely didn't like think about that so I think it's cool to like hear that yes like yes, we develop land, but also like you also have like a a responsibility to like maintain the ecosystem and the wildlife there.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a lot of permitting. So like, you know, one of the first things you have to do is call a biological resource assessment. So basically they send me out and I walk the whole field or walk the whole property. I take photos, I see what's there, you know, and I make my best guess on what I think could be there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and then if I think there could be any type of water or wetlands, we have to do a wetland delineation. And, like, it just all, like, trickles down. And, you know, it sucks because, I mean, you're still working with developers. So yeah. There's, like, that, like, yeah, we're making it hard for them, but we're st- they're still building, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, like, I wasn't really keen on that. And then, again, you're still working with developers, so you get, you know, you, you know they get mad at you a lot. Yeah. You're like on site watching over them and you're like, you know, you can't do that. And they're like, like they want to like backfill this little pond. And I'm like, you can't do that until I take everything out of it. <laughs> and like, they're like, what the and you know, they freak out. <laughs> you get that, they're supposed to have fencing around, wildlife fencing around the work area. And it's like always rips or they tear it somehow. And I tell them like, you can't do any work until you fix that. And they get all super pissed
0: again. <laughs> Get, Dude, this, like, get this nerd out of here. What is he doing yeah, here?
1: <laughs> and I've worked construction too. So it's like, I know the other side of it. Like you just want to get the work
0: done. Uh-huh.
1: So yeah, it, uh, it's just, it wasn't my world for sure. I'm glad I had the experience, but I knew like, I don't want to be in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like in those situations, like do you actually like try to move? animals out of the area the best you can or like what does that look like
1: and it depends on what's going on so like if they're if they were grubbing you know grass like you know turning the dirt for the first time you would pretty much walk in front of the bulldozer and anything you saw like gophers and stuff you pick up and move um depending on the type of permitting you had so i was i had the tiger salamander and red-legged frog permits which are like federal and state permits Mm -hmm. Um, just because I had all that past experience because you need a certain amount of hours and it's a long process Um, and so you know towards the end like if we were doing anything that involved potential tiger salamander or red-legged frogs like being in the area I would be there because I would actually be able to move them unlike if we had a normal monitor there and they saw a red-legged frog they would just have to halt work and either call me to come out which might not always be realistic or they would have to just let it move on its own and do work elsewhere. Um, but, you know, there's times like a lot of sites, you know, they have to winterize for the for the winter so that they don't have any storm runoff and, you know, all this shit in the street. So they build retention ponds and then the tree frogs would come in and use the retention ponds or potentially newts and uh, red-legged frogs. And so, and then summer would come and they need to, get rid of that retention pond but there's still water in it so i have to go in and see what's in there and if it's just tree frogs then i would try to relocate as many as i could but sometimes it was impossible yeah but yeah I, i'd have to give the go ahead or the okay that there was no special status species in there
0: well, okay it.
1: and birds you pretty much
0: yeah move. they could fly away
1: yeah
0: exactly i guess they have nestings and stuff but like they're really. That would be hard to work with. Yeah, so the,
1: the between February and August, it's called nesting bird season, and any work with near, any work near a tree, you had to do a nesting bird survey, and if you found a nest, they couldn't touch it during those times, and depending on the species, there'd be buffers, so like, if it was just a normal bird, it's usually like a 50-foot buffer, like a disturbance buffer, like no work in here until all the fledglings are gone. Mm -hmm. But then you got some species like the Swainson hawk or the golden eagle, which were like half a mile. (laughs) There was a couple times where we
0: half a mile
1: nest on the corner of a property, like off the property, but the buffer pretty much encapsulated the whole property. (laughs) Uh, Calling the developers to tell them that they were so pissed. Luckily, like our boss did it, but I'm like,
0: I don't know.
1: That's a federally or a state protected species, so good luck.
0: Yeah, I did not know these like permits and stuff at all. Like, yeah. it's it's crazy. So like, why why? So the salamander, what the red, whatever, what is it called?
1: Red-legged frog and California tiger salamander.
0: Why did you get into those specifically? We were just like,
1: they're they're in the Bay Area. They're like some of the bigger ones. So basically, like the most common because they're around and I mean like most development sites like um so I mean California tiger salamanders they are a vernal pool species so they basically the water comes in these pools these like cow ponds or whatever and then they go and lay their eggs and then they basically for the rest of the year they're burrowed because the pond dries they're burrowed away underground in like the foothills of livermore and stuff which is a lot of the leftover space in the Bay Area. So that's where a lot of development happens. Um, and then California red legged frog, kind of the same thing. They're just both species of concern. I think the, red, the tiger salamander is federally threatened. And then the red legged frog is just a species of concern. And then you also have the salt marsh harvest mouse, which is a big one. Anytime we did anything in like along the bay, So, like, actually on the water in a marsh, a salt marsh habitat, they were a big one. They're federally endangered, so they're, like,
0: you know, Mm. um,
1: like, no one can touch them and and anything. And there was a California clapper rail, which was also federally threatened, I think. Same thing. Um, But, yeah, they just, those, the um, burrowing owl is a big one, but the red-legged frog and California tiger salamander were... Just one of like the more common animals a lot of the mitigation sites in the bay area that dealt with them so and i had a lot of experience with them um the uh, san francisco garter snake those are hard to get permits for alameda whip snake, super hard because so you need hours you need to build up hours to um apply for a permit to handle these species okay the alameda whip snake is one of those species that like the people that have it have the permit for it are of like stingy about having more people get permits for it you know mm-hmm. biologist doesn't want people in their field. Yeah it wasn't the easiest thing to you know get experience with. I think it's starting to lighten up now but it was always kind of like a, that's a tough
0: year. yeah. So whenever you say you took surveys of like these animals is, is that just like population sizes? And density and stuff like that or what what does that look like? what does the survey look like?
1: So depending it depended on the type of survey and the species so if it was to say I did a VRA, a biological resource assessment on the property or mm-hmm. anything built, and I said there's a high likelihood that red-legged frogs occur here that would lead to pro- fish and wildlife service protocol level red-legged frog surveys. In which that that's basically f- I think it was four, four daytime and four nighttime surveys that had to be conducted over, you know, like a few months or something like that. Um, where say I went out there night one and I saw red legged frog, boom, surveys over, you guys are done. There's red legged frog on the property. But if I didn't, I had up to a total of four day and four nighttime surveys to see if they were there. And if I didn't see them by the end, then you're in luck because they're not here. You don't have to worry about them, but you just pay for eight surveys. <laughs> um, so that would be a presence absence survey. We do those a lot. That was you know, kind of like the nesting bird surveys. Those were presence absence surveys. Uh, no, nesting bird surveys were more like you would take a inventory of any nesting birds on the entire site. a typical presence absence survey was just to see if they were there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then for like the monitoring sites, like the, you know, I mentioned we constructed ponds. Um, Those are like 10 years of monitoring. Those are population surveys. So you basically have to prove you have to prove at least breeding in every single created pond over the course of 10 years. And you also have to improve. You also have to prove an increase in the population. So over the course of 10 years, you have to show numbers of more larva being, um, in the ponds. And so, yeah, those were like, you'd survey the pond a certain amount of times with like a sane net, you would pull up, you'd count basically every single one you saw. And then that was your data for the, for that survey.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's cool.
1: But the combination presence absence surveys were the most common for sure.
0: So would you literally just be like sitting there like all night long, and just be like, all right, where are y'all at?
1: So, so that's you do the daytime survey to get a feel for the property, and okay. usually you have a good idea of what the property's like. But the you're not going to see anything usually until nighttime because frog surveys are done by iShine. shine. That's the easiest. Oh, survey. okay, yeah. Binoculars and you take a flashlight and you walk around you you, you kind of have the key areas you're looking for I mean they could be anywhere but chances are the reason you're there is because there's either a pond or a stream that's running through the property and so you pretty much focus your surveys there mm-hmm. and it wasn't all night you know, um, especially when you're by yourself you start to get freaked out a little bit <laughs> I, I listen to and read a lot of scary books like, <laughs> at night it's creepy because the only thing you have is that one. <laughs> you're looking through binoculars and you're like, what if I take them down? <laughs> and then, you know, some properties have pigs. and not, I mean, I was never afraid of animals, I, The thing I was always afraid of was pigs.
0: Um, what about the coyotes? I, coyotes don't
1: bother me. Not bobcats neither. I mean, it's just pigs. They're always in packs. And pigs are just mean, you know? Yeah,
0: they are mean.
1: And so I didn't... Um, I, one of my one of my last night surveys, the last couple of years, I would do them by myself, um, and one of the last ones I did, like I did a daytime. I like, daytimes usually done in the evening, so I would do it, and then I'd go take a break, go get dinner or something, and then I would come back an hour after the sunset. And I came back to the property, and like right where I was going to be doing most of the survey, there was this huge black boar, and I was, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I like went back to my car real quick quick to grab my camera when i came back he was gone and i had no idea where he went and the only place he really could have gone is deeper into where i was going to be walking yeah so it's like jeez but but yeah so the um the the nighttime surveys they were fun but they they were creepy
0: they seem fun so like how rural of an area are we talking about here
1: it depends and the more rural the better for me. So, cause I've, I was like, it was pigs or people that were, you know, I didn't want to deal with. Like I don't, the other animals yeah. I to see, but I don't want to deal, you know, like, especially the frogs because frogs can pretty much live wherever and a lot of times, you know, like the channel that you're looking at is like, it runs under a bridge or it runs through like a development already, and so you know you have a bridge where homeless people can be, and, mm. um, and so yeah, and so like you would be like um, some a lot of the properties were rural, you know, ranchers. The, the properties were managed we had cattle out there to yeah. one for the ranchers, but also for fire control and so forth. Um, those were always super fun. But yeah, then you had some properties where they would be like, Frank, like, you know, there's it's in the middle of Fremont which is a pretty populated area in the Bay Area and I'd have to go and it was like a a, a nature walk basically through what above you is all these houses. And
0: stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Which is always
1: funny because you're out there at night with a flashlight. <laughs> you know, and you're like, just, I, I, I was so pissed. One night I went, this was it was kind of like this area where there was people there's houses around but it was very like yeah okay yeah i got you it was in the south bay and um i it was weird like there was like this huge channel and there was all these like big oak trees covering it and everything and no one was around and um i like walked most of it and everything and then at the very end there's this big pond which was going to be like the focus of my survey because i was like if there's any frogs here they're gonna be here yeah it was already creepy because there was wood rats everywhere so they're like scurrying up trees and everything and there's no sound anywhere and then i drive down i do most of the northern survey and i drive down to the end and i park my car and i like get out and i have my flashlight and i just flash it on the pond and there's I'm pretty sure it was a sawwet owl. It was a really tiny owl. Okay. And I was like like, fumbling for my camera and I was like trying to be quiet so I could try to get a shot of this guy. And then some neighbor pulls up behind me and he goes, Hey, man, can I help you? (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) I was like, You just ruined this. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of times you'd have like neighbors and stuff like, Can I help you? And I'm like, No. (laughs) Yeah. I'm doing, but you can't help me. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, so sometimes you're, like, in... I, I liked when you were in the rural areas, like, a lot of them were, like, in wide-open, you know, pasture, mm-hmm. or trees or anything. So those were kind of cool. But, I mean, not as scary as walking through the woods, like the old oaks and stuff like
0: Yeah. That. So, like, did you have to take pictures of evidence, or were you just taking pictures just because, like, oh, this is so cool, I'm going to take a picture?
1: So I would... I got into photography when I started there because I was just in the field so much. Yeah. And it started out as like, you know, oh, it helps you. Like, if you take a photo of a bird, then you, you know, later can go back and look at what it was. Um, but yeah, I would, I have to take photos of like the property that I'm surveying. So I take like landscape photos. And if I find it, you know, if I'm surveying a pond, I'll take a photo of the pond. And if I find something that I'll try my best to get a photo of it as proof, but it's not. Always the easiest thing to do, especially at night. Um, but for the most part, I would I mean I have thousands of photos of just nonsense landscapes of all these different properties, like on my Google photos. Um so if you had to take photos every survey you're out, but I got into like taking photos of the animals more for
0: me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever get into bird watching?
1: Yeah. I mean I do it now. Yeah? Birding, you know, like, yeah, yeah. it's pretty much my job now <laughs> this <laughs> Um Yeah, I got into it after the ornithology class and then working for the past three years in the field. I'm not, like, you know, a lot of people take lists every day and I try to do that, but I can't. And so I usually will only make a list if I see a new bird that I've never seen just because then it's, like, tracked that I have a list at some point. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting a lot of new birds I've never seen out here because been out before.
0: right yeah yeah
1: yeah but yeah i do some bird watching bird photography i like my favorite thing is to get in-flight photos of birds
0: Ooh! Yeah. i actually
1: haven't taken a photo in a long time <laughs> i've been so like inside and uh,
0: yeah, yeah yeah
1: whenever i do go outside i don't want to worry about more technology so i just grab my binoculars and-
0: but you gotta you gotta send me some of those pictures, man. I wanna see them. I have an Instagram
1: that you can check out. Oh yeah, yeah. What's your Instagram? I actually deleted it, but I oh. deleted it from my phone, but it's still there.
0: Okay. What's what's the handle?
1: It is Muzio.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Muzio yeah. Wildlife Photographer.
0: Ooh, okay. Wildlife photography. Okay, I was looking.
1: Museo.
0: Dot. Museo.
1: Dot. Wildlife.
0: Museo. Dot. Wildlife photography. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was posting. You know, like I try to make each post like informational, so you know, have the species and a fun fact about them. Um, but then like you know, a lot of the world started going crazy, and then you know, with all the protests and stuff, like I just. And all the stuff going on on social media, like, I didn't feel like my photos were, like,
0: (laughs) Oh, and here is this bird. Yeah.
1: I think there are more important things to focus on, so I just kind of stopped. Okay. And then recently watched the social dilemma, so I deleted Instagram off my phone.
0: (laughs) That's so fun. Yeah, I recently watched that, too. Um, Yeah, I didn't delete anything off my phone, but it's cool to, it's good to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Would you say you had like, and it's funny that you say that because um, after that um, documentary came out, I did a podcast with, um, she's a a professor at UConn in the uh, communication department. um, And Mm -hmm. maybe because um, she specializes in social media. Um, That has been, late of 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 recently that has that one episode has i've seen a major like spike in people like listening to that one specific episode um about social media so it's really interesting like how and and it came out and it, it i saw the trend happen like after the social dilemma came out so it's very interesting how like how impactful that documentary has been to a lot of people and I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, like, I watched The Social Dilemma, like, like, I deleted everything off my phone, I, it, yeah, so it's crazy.
1: Well, so I, I got off social media a while, like, I, for the longest time, I only had Snapchat on my phone, um, and then, like, a year or so ago, I decided to start posting my photos because, you know, I'd share them with my family and stuff. Yeah. And stuff, be like, you need to post this right and so I'm like, all right and then so i started to like last year but with everything going on especially with like school and stuff too like i didn't want another distraction because i like youtube i watch youtube like a lot
0: get down the youtube rabbit hole yeah
1: did
0: you would would you say you ever had a problem with social media though like being addicted to it or anything no you just like just one extra thing like not worth my time
1: yeah, it just, I mean, if I ever did get, like, in a, rat, like, whenever I do randomly get, like, in a rabbit hole where I'm on YouTube and I'm, like, watching those videos or something, it's never long, but, like, even after that, I'm, like, what the hell have I been doing? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I was so bad after, and so, I don't know, I just, um, and I especially got off social media in the the first time because I was so sick of, like, the way people were responding to certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I actually deleted everything. Back, I was in high, I was in college, and uh, it was that one week where there was like the Paris attack happened.
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: And, like all I was seeing on Facebook and Instagram was people like getting mad at each other for support, like being sadder, more sad about one over the other. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? This isn't like a competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this- yeah. So that like
0: really pissed me off, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not." doing this. I deleted them all. Yeah. Well, to the listeners out there, I'm looking at um, Frank's Instagram page right now, and it's it's really cool. You guys should definitely check that out. at Wildlife on Instagram. Oh, there's a there's a bison. You saw a bison. Yeah, so In Cali, near yeah. the bay, near the Bay Area, there's a bison.
1: We, uh, I've been to Montana times growing
0: up. Oh, this is Yellowstone. This is Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to take a date there uh, last year. And so we went to Gr- Glacier, Yellowstone, and the Grand Tetons. And then we also, on our trip out here, move out here, we went through Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons again.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I, 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 one of the national parks that I want to experience is Glacier National Park one day. Um, That's definitely on my list. What's up?
1: Glacier National Park is like one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Yeah.
0: What was so like cool? Like give me like a snippet of it. So,
1: so I always say Yellowstone, Yosemite is great for the rock structures. Okay. Yellowstone is great for the animals. Okay. Glacier is like both. Glacier has the pools, it has the glaciers, but it also has probably any animal you want to see. It has wolves, goats, mountain sheep, or a bighorn sheep. Um, it doesn't have bison. I think bison are nearby, but not as common as Yellowstone. Uh, they have wolves, they have bears, black bears, grizzly bears, moose, and everything. Uh, and we actually went so both of our birthdays for the first week of June, so we usually do something that first week of June. And so last year's trip was we road trip and it was the week before anything opened. Mm-hmm. So everything was technically closed. Like, like, so like the shop right outside the park entrance was, um, open like only part time during the day. So you had to make sure you got there, but there was nobody there. And so like, we pretty much could do whatever we wanted. I mean, there, there people were in the campground, but it wasn't like crazy overpopulated. populated. There's
0: no right. Camping. Yeah.
1: And yeah, I was just so was really, really <coughs> contemplated making it a part of this road trip, but it's kind of too far out of the way. Uh, and then the Grand Tetons, uh, I was blown away by those two. If you've never been there. I would highly recommend the Grand Tetons.
0: Where, where, is, where is the Grand Tetons? Where is oh, it located? You
1: know, Nelson National Park and then it, the southern border butts up with the northern border of the Grand Tetons. I think it's technically it's Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You look okay. that up. It's just these mountains that are insane. And yeah, we saw moose there this last time. All the campsites are free, but it's like first come first serve. But we ended up locking down this campsite for two nights. That was just unbelievable. Like we were looking at the, looking up at the Grand Teton. Um, it was yeah, that was, it was a great trip. Um, we we camped for like the first six nights on our road trip out here, and then we ended up getting more into the Midwestern United States and had enough. So we shot through to Chicago to see my friend and stay with them for a few days.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I think on my road trip, um, one thing that stuck out to me, um, we were in the Great Smoky Mountains for a little bit um, and not a whole lot of wildlife, that I remember, but just like the scenery was amazing. And just like I think that was the first time that I've been in like a real, like mountain range setting and just mm-hmm. like be like seeing these, like these mountains and like driving along these mountain ranges is just like, Whoa. And it yeah. was like, it was insanely cool. And there's also like an Indian reservation. Um, in the in the park too so we got to drive through that and that was like really cool to like see like an Indian yeah. reservation um but yeah I remember um and just like it also it was it was in the springtime um it was at the very end of spring um but like the colors were still like vibrant and like beautiful yeah. and I was like it was a little foggy too so it was just like it was cool it was cool that that's when I decided I was like okay mountains or beaches after that definitely mountains like
1: well so i lucked out because i'm from california and we have the sierras and so and like we i grew up we had a um my grandparents had a second home in tahoe like tahoe so i was there i go there probably at least three times a year maybe more and so i was always in the sierras and stuff and then like you know, as you drive past, like once you get past the Colorado, uh, the Rockies, you're like, that's kind of it for like the crazy mountain. I mean, I think there's the Appalachian. I've never seen the, the Appalachian, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've always been about the mountains. That's why Humboldt was so cool. So I finished my degree at Humboldt and Humboldt, you're on the ocean pretty much, but you're also on the mountains. It's like really weird. Okay. And pretty much like a 30 minute drive in any direction. You can either get to the beaches or you can be up in the snow in the mountains. So, so that was like about If I, if you go visit any place in California, I would
0: go visit. Okay, so here is the plan that I've been thinking of like the past couple months. So, this coming summer, um, I want to do a road trip to Vancouver um, from Houston, Texas. So, I'm like trying to like map it out to where like the best places I should, like. I'm gonna camp or like stop along the way. So like just like you know a basic map of the US. So like what are you like what are your initial thoughts on like from Houston, Texas to Vancouver? Obviously like, going to like the Grand Canyons maybe and like Cali. Like what do you what are you thinking whenever you first hear that?
1: Vancouver, Washington or Canada?
0: Canada Wait, isn't Vancouver in Canada? Isn't that right above Washington though? Are they different? Yeah,
1: yeah. okay. Um, if it were me, yeah. If it were me, I would go up through. Let me do this. Mm. So Zion and
0: Bryce Canyon are unbelievable. And remember, there's like, there's two ways, so like going up and then also coming down. So there's like two chances for like. So
1: that's what I was gonna say. So if I were you, I would. I would. I don't know how you. I guess you can. You're in Houston. I would go up through New Mexico, through Colorado. Okay. And then shoot up through the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. Go all the way up north in Montana to Glacier. Okay. Get into Canada because Glacier's on Canada. I don't know the best route to do this. And then get into Canada, then head west, go to Vancouver, come down through Seattle on the 5. Ooh, Seattle. And then Portland. And then you can shoot over once you get to like Medford. Um, Southern Oregon, you can shoot over to the 101 and go to uh, Crescent City in Northwestern. Like, that's where uh, the Smith River is, which is like top six cleanest rivers in the world. And you can drive down the 101 all through uh, Humboldt County. It's the Six Rivers National Forest, which is just amazing. Okay. Then you can come down through California. And then honestly, you can go all the way down to like LA, but if I were you, I would shoot. Nevada to southwestern Utah and go to Zion. And then
0: okay. you can
1: come out through Grand Canyon National Park and then shoot east through Arizona back through Mexico too. Okay. So
0: gonna how just, long gonna do this you like I could see it last in like two weeks, honestly. Two weeks.
1: And you're gonna are you gonna just sleep in the car or?
0: um so it's hopefully it's, the plan is right now for like me and my buddy from high school um so it, I love him so much like he we did we did my first ever road trip was from Houston Texas to New York City and um I did that with him right after we graduated high school because mm-hmm. like we were going our separate ways for college um and that trip that road trip was like okay, I really like road trips, now. I didn't, I didn't realize how fun they could be, and such a great experience, and like, it was really cool, um, so, and that road trip, we, we mainly like, stayed, like, either in Airbnbs, or just, like, people we knew along the way, um, yeah. but for, for this road trip, definitely, like, camping at these, like, different parks, like, if we need to like get an airbnb or something but like mostly camping or like if we just know people on the way stop at their place but i could definitely like camping to like really experience like all these national parks and stuff
1: for sure yeah i mean it's just depending on time of year you go it's always tough with like reservations and stuff but a lot of them have first come first serve i mean if you don't care you can always just i mean we i have a that's true I have a truck with a camper on the back, a uh, uh, hard top.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So I built a bed platform that we would sleep on. And we brought a tent. And so, like, when we we were in the Grand Tetons for three nights. So we brought the tent out and slept in it. But um, I like sleeping in the truck. It was super nice. And then in the morning, we could just go. Um,
0: oh, but the truck, the gas mileage, though, man. Yeah. Like, I oh. could, like, I haven't picked, like, an F-150 that, yeah, we could probably modify the bed of the truck to where, like, we could, like, sleep in it at night, but then, like, oh, the gas mileage. Oh, God, only... A Camry. I usually... I'm not going to beat that. <laughs> yeah, it's got really, like, I love it. Like, I'll go, I'll go straight from Yukon to D.C. without, like, filling, I, I, I won't stop. Like, I'll go straight through.
1: How long is that drive?
0: It's, like, seven hours, seven and a half hours sometimes seven hours without traffic yeah and like uh, just go straight through and like don't have to fill up and it's so nice
1: i mean luckily the so we got jay the new car out here which is um, the key is seltos and so it's a smaller suv and that thing freaking zips um I love it. It's like a great. I mean, if there's room to do, like you know, if we wanted to bring it on, like a, we could probably sleep in the back of it. Honestly, yeah, it's great. On, I think it gets like know, 35, 40 miles a gallon. Something. That's yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like Eighteen on a good day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to yeah, me. Sure. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I just got my my road trip plan. So that was awesome. Yeah. I'm really pumped for that. Um yeah, we should definitely keep in touch. Um I am definitely interested to hear about your um whatever research topic you choose to really focus on and um whenever you do delve in that, shoot me an email um because I love talking to people about their research. Um one thing that I that I love about my podcast is like, whenever you get people to like talk about like what they're passionate about and what they're really interested in, it's like, it's so cool to like to hear it in their voice and to like hear like how happy they are to talk about it. Um, and it's really informative. It's really cool to like hear everyone's story and learn about whatever they're like researching and stuff. Um, so definitely keep in touch and
1: yeah, we'll to do this again or something. yeah we
0: would definitely have to have a follow-up um but yeah so thank you it's been fun and you've awesome. been an awesome um lab pa Just Thanks.
1: Hope, i'm hoping to get some good reviews it'll be my first uh, <laughs> uh are
0: they are they i guess there's the the they, they call it the, the set survey right Set yeah. or something like that i'll i guess i'll have to I don't know how hard I should be on you I'll actually I guess I'll actually do the survey for you because most of the time I'm like oh, I'm not doing this survey for like someone else will do the survey like I don't need to do it
1: Well,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah um have a good you have any plans for like the break or anything
1: uh, my friend from Jersey is going to come. They've been quarantining and everything. They actually got tested, and they got tested, and we've been in the house for months. So they're going to come, bring their dog, and we'll hang out for a couple of days. But besides that, i got a couple of things to catch up on, but I'm hoping to do I've, – I've been on, like, a an action movie kick the last couple of days, watching a bunch of action movies.
0: Do Do tell, because movies are, like – another passion that i love movies so much
1: i watched the message a message from the king it was one of chadwick boseman's last movies. It's on netflix
0: okay is he good i watched uh, end of watch yesterday I've, I've seen end of watch yeah I, this
1: is my second or third time and i watched
0: um not really action he story. i watched the lincoln lawyer i watched the yeah i've seen that's that it. that that's with mcconaughey right yeah. Okay. Yeah, I watched that recently too. Honestly, and then,
1: this isn't an actual movie either. But we watched the uh, the Little Hours on Netflix. Have you seen that with Aubrey Plaza and Nick Offerman? The
0: little. And- I know. Who, I know who those actors are. Is it a movie?
1: Like, it's this like indie film that Aubrey Plaza wrote, which I if you know her. She's
0: yeah. She's fan. yeah. She's great. I love her, but she yeah. So, she's insane. It's
1: funny. This movie is like just watch it it's okay it's, it's, i've been
0: looking i kind of like ran out of movies to watch so like i'm gonna watch it's called the little hours i think so yeah it's okay it's
1: um it's like a glimpse into what we think is inside our head even though we have no idea because she's just all over
0: that's We're amazing
1: what the hell is going on yeah
0: <laughs> but, okay yeah. i'm gonna have to give that a watch um, yeah for sure. I just started I watching... I was
1: going to watch The Take. The Take? The take action movie.
0: So. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah, I'm gonna oh, definitely Den watch. of
0: thieves. I watched Den of Thieves. Oh, I've seen that.
1: Yeah. I'm a big 50 Cent fan. I just like 50 Cent. <laughs> uh, he's sometimes a horrible person sometimes, but I really just like who he is, and so I want to watch it. It was a little plot to us at the end, so
0: that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's good that's good yeah just nice relaxing break not too much going on it's good that's always good to like recharge then just like take it easy yeah but yeah so Muzio.wildlife photography check it out really cool um mm-hmm. do you have any any pieces of advice you want to leave with anything like to contribute to the world from <laughs> the mind of frank Muzio?
1: Um, not really I would say everyone should start to read more (laughs) read more and listen to more podcasts that's pretty much you can usually tell if somebody's like an avid reader or not (laughs) or listens to some kind of podcast or something instead of just the normal social media bullshit we look at every single day
0: there you have it guys listen to more podcasts and read more books i like that no books are like especially when you find like that niche that like specialty that you're really into like it's easy to get hooked and like really get into like reading whenever you find or like listening to podcasts whenever you find something like you're really passionate about um so that's like i was i was actually just talking to like a friend last night um i was talking to her about like she was like, oh, like, I don't really have any, like, hobbies. Like, I'm just, like, bored all the time. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, you need to just, like, really think about it. Like, kind of think about, like, your interests and your passions. And then, and like, just get, like, a book or something. Or, like, listen to, like, a podcast or something. I was, like, almost, I was about to buy her a book because she was, like, telling me, like, yeah, like, I'm really interested. And um, let's see, like, I wrote it down i was like i'm gonna buy this girl a book um she's really interested in like market uh marketing and like consumer um consumer behavior and market research and i was like okay like i'm gonna buy you books so like you can get started with your like passions and your hobbies yeah but yeah. like i was like you know actually like what if i buy her this book and she just doesn't like it like whenever it does come to these like passions and like hobbies they're very personalized so like Like you'll know, like, oh, like, I'm passionate about this. This book looks looks like it would interest me. It's more of like a personal decision, really. Like you, it's really like you have to discern it. It's hard for like me to discern, like, oh, she probably would like this book. Um, so I just, I just, I didn't, I didn't end up buying the book out of the fear, like, what if I buy this book and like she just absolutely hates it? So that's like,
1: it's one of those things too, especially if the person's already not a reader, like, yeah. Like you're gonna buy them a book, and they never are
0: gonna pick it up. Right. Like so
1: I have that. one friend who every time I buy a book, like we go back and forth. He always reads it, like right away. But then there's others that's never like. Yeah, yeah. Just
0: like all right, well, I'm not buying. It. So I didn't buy the book, but I I did encourage her to like do her yeah. own research on like potential books and like make because that's a that's a hard decision. You know, that's a very that's a personal like. I don't I don't truly know. Like yeah, she says she can tell me consumer. Um, behavior market research but like in her head she has a a really better understanding of like what that means obviously i I don't even know that field as much as i know the field of like science and like biology Um, but for sure so like i just started um reading this um it's called i have it right here it's called the manual of neonatal care And this is straight up from like John Hopkins, like med school. Um, It's so dense.
1: It looked like it, I could see it.
0: But, and there's like, every time I like, I read like a paragraph, I have to like, look up like, 10 words to like, understand what the heck the paragraph even said. But like, I love it. It's so cool. Um, I've I've really gotten into neonatology recently. so that's what I've been spending my time on. And I've, I've been trying to find cool podcasts on neonatology. I found one that I'm going to try out. There's, like, really not much out there, honestly. Um, but, yeah. I definitely back Frank on his statement on reading more and listening to more podcasts.
1: And then get some binoculars and go check out all the
0: animals outside. Well, I'm going <laughs> to... Looking at your pictures, I'm like, maybe I, maybe I should get some binoculars and just like... So, that's another
1: piece of advice that I always tell people is, you know, you have all these ant- birds around you especially, like, you don't realize how cool those birds look until you have binoculars. Like, I'll hand my binoculars to somebody and they, they'll be in their backyard with the same birds every single day and they don't realize, like, how yellow that finch is. Mm. But just a normal house finch is super purple sometimes on the chest and red. And they're like, what? like pretty much like this is where you're missing out these aren't even the cool birds
0: (laughs) yeah these are are just like regular like birds so
1: it's like I always try to tell people like even if it's a cheap pair like it's even on like a hike too it's like worth it or even looking at stars too like anything
0: okay I'm definitely gonna have to if I don't have a pair of binoculars already I'm definitely gonna have to like get some because in it's like all my stuff is still at UConn from March. My car, my clothes, all that stuff is still up there because I thought I was going to come back in the fall. Um, so I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll just leave it there over the summer, and like it'll it'll be there when I come in the fall." Hmm? Just
1: store on campus.
0: So I had a buddy of mine like move my stuff out, and he like mm-hmm. lives close to campus. So it's like it's in his basement, and my car is like in his driveway right now. Um, he'll he'll drive it around every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, just leave it there in the summer if you can, and, like, come fall, like, my stuff, like, it'll be nice for me since my stuff is already up there, and i like, I'll move back in, and then classes went all online, and I was, like, oh, i um, just, like, if you could, like, just leave it there one more semester, and then in the spring, like, I'll get it, and, like, move back in, and all, yeah. and then all my classes are online again, so, like, I mean I guess I should probably get it you know um, yeah. so over over the break on um, actually I just bought tickets I just bought plane ticket I just bought a couple one-way tickets for like me and a couple friends of mine um, on December 31st we're gonna fly up to Connecticut and then we'll road trip down nice. um, and we, we plan on stopping um, in the the Great Smoky Mountains and some other um parks on the way down so i'm definitely gonna have to like get some binoculars to like prepare oh, myself for, sure. for that yeah. um i'm gonna write that down binoculars are they expensive i feel like they're expensive
1: i mean they can be really expensive but uh you can get a decent i mean i what's a-
0: like a like a decent like it's not the best but like it'll still give you a good experience and like it's all right right. Like, I'd say 100, 100, bucks. 100 bucks okay i could do that so like my, I could I could view it as like an investment for my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you were like a serious like birder or anything, like I would say you know two fifty. Like mine, I think are like three hundred bucks or something like that. But I think like you know Sporosky makes them for like four grand. Like it's insane. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, I mean, if you just just to have in the car and stuff, yeah, hundred bucks probably on Amazon.
0: Okay. I have to look into that. I'll, I'll
1: look around on Amazon and see if I can
0: find. It. Yeah, definitely. If you if you find a like solid pair of binoculars around like a hundred bucks, shoot me an email. Yeah, for sure. Okay, <laughs> well I'll let you go. Um, binoculars, people get that. Um, reading and podcasts—that's what you should take away, if anything. Um, but yeah, so thank you for spending your time. Um, we'll stay in touch. For sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And have a good holidays.
0: Yeah, you too, man. Thank you.